We've been in a series um, called David, and we've been looking at the life of this character named David, this real person, and David is revered as Israel's greatest king, a man after God's own heart. We've gone through the whole book of 1 Samuel, and we're now kind of into this 2 Samuel phase of David's story, and we also have gotten to hear alongside David's story the story of King Saul as well, and got to see these two characters right next to each other compared to one another like even like they're always compared we have king david and a king saul and for much of this story we've gotten to look at just how different these two kings were how humility and pride fight against each other and our story left off with david becoming king he was pursued by Saul all of his life. Saul finally dies. David mourns Saul. He becomes king, and he takes his place on the throne finally. He was anointed years prior, years prior. He served Saul for the better part of his life, and finally he gets on the throne, and guess what he does? He makes Jerusalem the capital of Israel. He expands the kingdom. He defeats the Philistines. He does all of these awesome things. As a warrior, as a politician, he's pretty well set, and he was doing really well for himself. But David also makes a mistake, and it's a familiar story. Because like Saul, David's anointed king. He's good-looking. Not as tall as Saul, but they're both described to be good-looking, and you know, there's so few of us in this room and in this world. Wow, that's three weeks in a row for that same joke, and it kills every single time. Oh, my goodness. So David and Saul, they're both anointed king. And we see in both of their stories a mistake that they make that they disobey God. But Saul's mistake resulted in God leaving him and taking away his anointing. But we are going to see in the story that we read today, the story that we talked through today, that God spares David, and David is still revered as this amazing king. Why? What happened? We see, we see two very different outcomes. What's the difference here? The difference is in the in-between, and that's what we're going to look at today. What happened in between here to make David be spared and Saul be punished. Because David messes up in an arguably worse way. David's screw-up results in sexual assault, results in um, murder of not just one person, but multiple people die because of David's mistake. Saul... Saul's doesn't necessarily, besides his own demise. And so this morning, I want to look at this in-between space together and see what we can learn as well. And so would you turn to, chapter, uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and would you just stand with me today as we read this story of David in this in-between portion? Starting in verse 1, it says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town, one was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. But one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. 
But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. And in verse 5 it says, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And the prophet Nathan looked to David and he said, you are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdom of Israel and Judah. And if that... If that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? You have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it in secret, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all of Israel. And in verse 13, it says, David confesses to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, I just pray that you would show us what you would have us learn from somebody else's mistakes. And God, how we respond is so important. Lord, you have already been moving in this service. I pray that you wouldn't let us miss this moment, that you're trying to reveal yourself in a new and powerful way. God, open our eyes, open our ears. God, you are so good and you are good at being God and we trust you and we love you. In your name we pray, amen. You guys can have a seat. Now, I don't know if you all have ever been wrong before in your life, but have you ever been told that you're wrong, or like called out for something. So I come from the cities, I grew up in Blaine, Minnesota, and Minneapolis is like 20 minutes away. And I don't know if you know, but everybody else in Minnesota calls the city of Alexandria Alex. And moving up here, I knew there was gonna be a culture shock. This is a small town, like this town is the size of my high school, and I knew it was gonna be very different. But man, you guys sure love telling me that Alexandria is called Alec with the C. I don't get it. I tried this weekend to call it Alec. I'm turning from my ways. I am repenting. I'm conforming. But every time somebody corrects me, which is mostly Pastor Kyle, and I know this is petty, but it makes me just want to say it more. It makes me not want to change it. Or it makes me want to tell you all that you're all wrong, But the only person that would ever back me up is Pastor Carson, and he's a whole floor up, and so I'm not going to do that this morning. (laughs) But it doesn't make sense to me. And every time, it's not just Pastor Kyle, it's multiple of you that you guys, I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm going up to Alex today. Alec. Oh, okay. I'm trying, friends. I'm trying. But it's hard being told you're wrong, especially when you grew up thinking a different way. Or maybe you've been told you're wrong not by saying a city name the wrong way in a different town, but maybe you go to your job and you're doing something and you make a mistake, you fudge a little numbers or you miss math or a person and your boss comes up to you and says, hey, you made this mistake. How do you respond to that? What do you do? Or if you played sports in school or currently play sports and you miss a play, you mess it up, you foul out when you weren't supposed to and your coach gets upset and goes, hey, what are you thinking? What do you do? 
when you're confronted with making a mistake. Because we all have a choice here on how to respond to being called out. You see, Saul, rewinding time from our story, Saul disobeyed direct orders from God when it came to a battle. He took too much spoils, he left this king alive, and he wanted to make a sacrifice with the things God told him to leave behind. And when the prophet Samuel went to visit him, he made up every excuse in the whole wide world. And he tried to cover up this mistake with pointed fingers. He blamed the whole nation of Israel at one point and lame attempts at justifying his sin. And even after Samuel tells Saul, hey, buddy, you're like done being king. Saul still tries to put off these consequences and put off the blame before begging for forgiveness himself. And honestly, humanly, what Saul did was very prideful and it was dumb and it was wrong but he didn't like murder one of his own men like David. But the difference here, friends, is that upon Nathan confronting David within David's mistake, within murder and sexual assault, David immediately says, I have sinned against the Lord. There's no hesitation there. There's no pointed fingers. And he goes into this time of fasting and prayer and mourning for his sins, for his son. He didn't talk about the fact that the woman that he took to bed was so beautiful and it's her fault or the fact that she shouldn't have been doing what she was doing or she shouldn't have actually come over. He didn't get upset over Uriah, um, her husband, for not going home to his wife and falling into David's trap. He didn't try to twist God's word to fit into his sin. He just says, I have sinned against the Lord. And a beautiful thing that we have from this story isn't even in the books of Samuel, but it's in the book of Psalms. See, David, we kind of get his journal entries through this book of Psalms in the middle of our Bibles because he wrote most of them. And we know for certain that Psalm in chapter 51, it is a direct response to this story, a direct response to this sin. And I just want to read this to you. Because it's powerful, it is beautiful, and it says this, it'll be on the screens for you. It says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins, wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you and you alone, have I sinned? I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from my, the moment my mother conceived me. But you, you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David writes, restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to the rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. 
Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want burnt offerings. The sacrifice that you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. With burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bowls will again be sacrificed on your altar. This is what David writes in response for the Lord confronting him about the murder of Uriah and the stealing of Bathsheba. We still revere David as this great king, as this amazing man. How do we do that? He did one of the worst things in the Bible. Why would authors include this story? Why did David get to keep the Lord's blessing when Saul didn't, even when David's mistake was arguably bigger than Saul's? Because it's not, friends. This story is not about what David has done. It's not about what he has done wrong, but how he responds in the midst of being caught in a mistake. And we can learn a lot from this response that he has. I have a couple points for this, but the first one that I need to get right out of the gate is this. You are never too far from God's grace. I need to get this one out straight away because I feel like people need to hear this in the midst of this story that can bring up mistakes in our own lives, guilt and shame and what we have done and run from. But you are never too jacked up, you are never too calloused, too broken to disqualify yourself from the forgiveness that God has for you, from the grace he has for you. You're never too messed up to disqualify yourself from his love and from his calling on your life. Plain and simple, this thing that David did should have disqualified him. He should have gotten off that throne. He should have lost his anointing, you would think. And we still praise David for being this greatest king because there is grace there that the Lord shows him. And that grace that God extends to David, a murderer, is also extended to us. It's extended to you no matter what. But here's the kicker. It's all about the posture of our hearts within these moments. You see, what makes David so different here, especially compared to Saul, was that his heart was truly repentant, truly sorry and upset for what he had done. Have you ever, I taught Taekwondo for 10 years and I've taught little kids, big kids, adults that are arguably bigger kids. But have you ever tried to make like a small kid apologize to another small kid when they didn't know, they don't understand what they did wrong? Like I had, I had a student use his ice powers on another student one day in the studio and he accidentally poked another kid in the eye and to him he was just playing and it doesn't hurt. You know, it's ice powers, it's pretend Miss Carrick. And I was like, all right, all right Landon, you gotta just go and apologize to Nico, okay? And he's like, ah, why? And I was like, because you hurt him. It's the right thing to do, you know? And then these kids just shuffle over 
and they drag their feet. They don't even look up at the kid and they go, sorry. And then like go off on their day. And sometimes the other kid's like, all right, cool. But sometimes it's like, no, 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 no. That's not how you say sorry. You're not actually sorry. You're just saying sorry out of obligation, right? Their hearts aren't in it. Where in the case of David, we see not only through 2 Samuel, him fasting and confessing to Nathan, weeping, but we see in Psalm 51 the anguish, the emotion. He understands what he did was wrong. And he means what he says. His emotions reflect the attitude of his heart. And it's not just about these emotions, right? Because he still fasted, he still prayed, he did what he had to do to worship God. But what he did, his actions, his sacrifices are a reflection of his heart, a direct result from his attitude rather than this show of how he should act. You see, sometimes we miss this step when we make a mistake and we know, we know that God knows or we feel this guilt and instead of actually confessing something and feeling sorry, we go, oh, I'll just go to church on Sunday and I'll sing some songs and I'll pray and I'll listen to a message and that's good. No, 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 no. Our worship, our faith should be a result of the attitudes of our heart, not something we do out of obligation. It's still not out of obligation or guilt. And the last thing that we can learn from David in this response that I think we often miss is we still reap the consequences of our own sin, even if we do turn our hearts. You see, David got to stay on the throne. We see that. And Saul's anointing was taken. David still was on the throne. He's still king. He's still this amazing person that we talk about, a hero of the Bible, but if we continue reading on in his story, David's sin follows him. His son dies later in chapter 12, but after that his family line is riddled with dysfunction and rebellion and sin. He did the right things, he had the right attitude, but he still didn't get off scot-free. And I think we miss this sometimes with God's grace. God's grace isn't a free pass for us to go around hurting people and hurting ourselves and making mistakes and disobeying him. Neither is God's anointing. And Saul forgets that. Saul thinks that a sacrifice, that his anointing will cover up his mistakes and will be the grace that he has when he makes a mistake. But David accepted this fact. He accepted the fact that his mistakes, he owned them, and he had to walk in this hurt for the rest of his days, actually. And sometimes we don't have the rest of our days, but we always have to remember that as much grace and forgiveness is given, there are consequences to our actions. There are repercussions to what we do and how we hurt people and how people hurt us. But there is hope, because we know that that hurt is not forever. It's not permanent. It's not a reflection of who we are. It doesn't change how God views us. If I could have the worship team come up. In youth, we always have what we call a big so what. It's one of the things I ask students to remember from that night outside of the games, the music, the hangout time. So parents, if you ask your kid and they go, I don't know what we talked about, they're lying, they have something. 
But today, out of everything of this story, of these stories of Saul and David, of how we need to respond within our own mistakes, I want you to remember this. So when we come to God humbly, with our mistakes and with a true heart, he won't turn his back on us. God didn't turn his back on David after a mistake. He didn't just leave him out there to high and dry, to reap the consequences of his actions, even through the rest of David's life, through the dysfunction of his children, God saw his way through. He was with David till the very end. And even so, he used David to bring the greatest hope, the greatest blessing into the world, which is Jesus. It's amazing how one man who we revere as a hero made this huge mistake that should have blotted out his whole line, that should have disqualified him, that should have made him the villain in the Bible, makes him a part of Jesus' genealogy. This morning, we have an opportunity to turn our own hearts back to God to bring things to God before someone else has to bring God to us, right? I don't want us to leave without giving an opportunity for some of you in this room who are hearing this for the first time of a God that looks past our mistakes, looks past our past, and loves us anyways. A God that died for us, a God that just wants a chance to be loved by you and to love you, to see you, to know you. Maybe some of us in this room are here this morning and you need to turn back to God. This morning is a wake-up call. You know you weren't right with God and something needs to change and I just want to pray for you this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to respond so with no one looking, eyes closed, head bows, if that's you, would you just lift up a hand? moment just between you and God. Thank you. Church, would you just pray with me? Would you repeat after me? Dear God, thank you for sending your son to die for me. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Would you come into my heart and change my life? so good. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, we have people that recommitted their lives, that, that turned their hearts around. This is a good thing. This is a thing to celebrate, friends. This is a good day, and this is an important decision. God doesn't turn our backs when our hearts are turned towards Him. And so would you go in peace this morning and let's, let's not leave this room the same way. Would you have a good Sunday? You're dismissed.